Hello and welcome along to G'day GA, brought to you in association with O'Neill's International Sportswear, the choice of champions. Please visit O'Neill Sportswear on at O'Neill Sportswear AU on Facebook and Instagram. I'm delighted to be joined this evening by Shawnee Larry. Shawnee, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Liam. It's great to be back on again. I'm uh, here in the, the old granny flat, in the back of the garage. Yeah, that's your humble abode, Johnny, for the last four weeks. Fair play to you work yeah. from home. And yeah. Also, very excited. We have a brilliant interview coming up for you very shortly. The mean Johnny spoke with Sarah Rowe, um, Mayo ladies football star and also Collingwood AFLW star here in Melbourne. Um, Sarah was very, very good with her time, Johnny. We had her on there for almost an hour. Uh, yeah, an hour, and I'd say we could have went for another half an hour, maybe even another hour. She was brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant to have her on. Now, I will have to admit that I forgot to press the record button uh, at the start of the interview, so I missed the first 60 seconds of the conversation, so apologies to to the listeners. Um, Sarah was explaining during those 60 seconds about what, what it was like heading back home when the coronavirus landed, because obviously the AFLW season... Um, got curtailed kind of overnight and they didn't get to finish the season and no one was awarded to be cha- premiership. premiership or to be champions yeah. here and they all literally hopped on planes and had to go home so that's where the recording picks up which we'll, which we'll put on in a second for you so there's an email coming through um, yeah so sorry about that to the listeners and Sarah but it was just the first 60 seconds but yeah it was she was excellent so yeah Shani hopefully we can uh, get Get her signed up for Gary Owen when she's back out next year. That'll be, be a key signing, Liam. If you can, if you can land that one. Yeah, marquee signing. We do have that flagged, and she does. She just speak with in the podcast, so she's just waiting to, to sign the farms, which is great for next year. So watch out, rest of Australia. All right. Well, sir. Without further ado, we'll put on um, Sarah's interview. We hope you enjoy it. Trailhead full of zombies. I met a strange lady. She made me nervous. She took me in and gave me. And, and Sarah, obviously, it was it's crazy. Um, that I, I think it was a couple of the the girls, the Dublin girls, Neve McAvoy and Sinead Goldrick. They kind of made the call before it was kind of finalised that they were they were just leaving. Um, so that that was interesting that. You know, they they said, "Oh no, we're just going." Like there was a real that confusion. Like, what was it like? I, I do you, did the Irish girls have an Irish WhatsApp group amongst yourselves out here? Were you talking yeah, amongst like yourselves? Or we had all we'd all made up for breakfast on the Tuesday, and you know, everyone was kind of saying, "I don't want to get stuck out here," and I was kind of saying, "Here's no need to panic until we actually have to panic." So, like, relax until we hear any any more. Like, I suppose you probably thought that you'd get at least forty eight hours notice to get your bags and get home kind of thing and I was I was kind of confident that the AFL or like your clubs would look after you and make sure that you did get home so when they said they we like the decision hadn't been made and then they said that they were going home we were all and then I suppose there started to be kind of a bit of panic then set in for more of the Irish girls meanwhile I was still kind of relaxed was like I was thinking about the game more so and but anyway it turns out they were probably and that we had um so yeah it was a bit of conf- confusion like i suppose they were well ahead of the well on the ball i decided to go home but at that point i was kind of lay first and i'll worry about that if, if we lose the game i'll just get on the flight and go home the next day yeah and i think to be fair as well in australia at the time 
like there wasn't that sense of this is going to get really bad like you know in the same even in Ireland like it was starting to develop but it wasn't getting to the level that obviously where we are now what we know now there wasn't that yeah, like, widespread panic you know people were like oh is it a bit of an overreaction or but now we know what we know like you'd, you'd reflect differently on it but at the time people were kind of carrying on pretty much here business as usual yeah see like you could never prepare yourself for something like this and you would also never think that you would be ever in the middle of this yourself like I just didn't think I'd it'd come to this so um I think yeah especially in Australia like obviously when you're watching the news and they were pretty confident that they were going to keep schools open and gyms and all that kind of stuff open so then it was like well there's no real need for me to panic if they're not panicking um and you're obviously hearing things at home but in my head I was like I'll get home and by the time I get home, it'll be done in Ireland and it'll be kicking off in Australia and I'll miss the whole thing. <laughs> it'll be perfect for me. But um, yeah, it turns out that wasn't the way it, it panned out. Yeah, and you're, you're right back in home then now and obviously probably had to self-isolate for a, for a couple of weeks and you don't have the GA to pick, to pick back straight back into which you've had, I suppose, last year when you came back. What's it been like, you know, obviously like playing professional sport up until a few weeks ago and now being back in and literally can't meet up with the Mayo girls or your club girls and get back into that? Like, have you found that challenging? Yeah, it's, uh, like the first two weeks, um, yeah, it was isolating and it was fine because I was kind of like getting over the jet lag. I was kind of nice to be able to just switch off because like obviously after season last year, I came straight home and literally got off the flight and went to Mayo training that evening and it was it was intense enough to go from one to the other straight away so I was like taking it as a kind of an, a nice break like I tip on with my training but it, there was no real pressure to do my training or to, to be trying to you know perform or like have any of that pressure or anything so it was actually really nice the first two weeks and then I suppose after that you're kind of like you're getting hungry and you're itching to get back again and miss miss like the girls haven't seen them in months now and like it's not the same you can obviously have zoom phone calls and all that and it's you know it's a good way to catch up and stay in the loop but like it's not the same as one-on-one contact so um i am starting to get like really excited to get back to football whenever that would be i don't know but um i'm just hoping that it would be sooner rather than later so Sarah, when when you were leaving Collingwood, I guess did they actually terminate everyone's contracts before they left, or in the contracts, or how did they in the, like how did they let you go? I guess. No, see, we only had um one month of payment left, and obviously we weren't going to finish that one month, but we still got paid up until the end of our contract this year. So we were fortunate oh, that yeah. it didn't affect anything like that. But um, we basically had like the day we left, we had exit meetings with the coach. Um, and our list manager and they just basically review the season and go through everything and show you all your stats on I suppose like kicking, handballing, goal kicking, all that and they show you your stats versus your stats the year before. See where areas you've improved or areas you went back in or whatever. So it's actually really good. Like shows you a true reflection of how you did over the season. And then they talk to you and um, then our coach was the borders were closing that night so he had to try to drive back to Adelaide um so yeah it was kind of it was very rushed but it was it was good to kind of have some sort of closure on it yeah and 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 your contracts too as well as you you kind of you have your contract for the afl over there you didn't sign a i guess a permanent contract which would lock you into the vfl as well 
you you actually get home for the ladies football back home as well. So when you're, I guess, doing your exit meeting with uh, Collingwood, do they actually give you any plan going home in terms of what you need to keep going while you're while you're home in Ireland, or do they just leave you off to your own devices? Yeah, no, they would give you um they give you a plan. Like at the moment, the girls are on like say a, a phase of training now, which is kind of like you're finished the season you're just trying to maintain a bit of fitness like and you don't need to get a whole pod fitter so it'd be like three running sessions three to four gym sessions a week and and that would be kind of to maintain what you have so we're on them programs at the moment but I'm actually following um the Mayo program now so that's kind of something I suppose I have to talk to them about and say that I won't be doing what they've been giving me but I'll keep an eye on it and keep in touch and kind of show them what I'm doing and they would also like you to kind of keep up a certain amount of uh, ball work. They'd be putting videos up on the Facebook page to complete and um, stuff like that and trying to stay in touch that way. But it's it's kind of one of them things that last year when I came home, I was like, I'm at home now, I'm focusing on football. And when I'm there, I'm focusing solely on AFL. So what I normally do is I come home and I don't take football out of my hands until about six weeks before I go to Australia. And then I start kicking the AFL ball again because, Sometimes there's a bit of confusion when you're doing, it's not too bad when you're doing like, like when I was in Australia, I do every Monday, I go kick into football and the rest of the week, obviously AFL ball. So like, even if I did it once a week, it would just keep your touch up. And so that's just things I'm learning along the way. But I was very much so black and white last year. I just did one or the other and focus on that. But I'm going to try and implement both this year. And how would you? Yeah, it's fully full on. So. Yeah, no, there's a lot. There's a lot to be doing really at the moment. Um, and I suppose when you're when you're bored at home as well, you're like, oh, sure, I might as well train. Like, I might yeah. as well just And Sarah, how did you find last year? You touched on it um, a little bit when you know, you came back from your debut season, um, Australian rules football. You had been doing a little bit, but straight back into playing from, for me, I think it was in a league game. Obviously, you were f- like flying fit coming back in, but how was it like transitioning back to the round ball and trans- transitioning back to Gaelic football as opposed to AFLW? Well, like on reflection, like I probably shouldn't have did what I did, which was get off the flight, train with Mayo on like a Sunday, or, or was it, I think it might have been a Friday actually, and then play like 20 minutes of a league game on that Sunday. I hadn't a clue where I was. I literally might as well have been up in the sky. I was just running around like a headless chicken. I was expecting someone to jump on my back. Like I was getting the ball and getting rid of it really quickly when I was in like a heap of space and just doing stupid stuff that I wouldn't normally do. So yeah, the transition was funny enough. Like I suppose you think they'll come back naturally to you and the skills and all that do definitely, but more so my game awareness was like, wasn't great for definitely the first three to and also he was um my coach Peter had moved me from like I'm nor- normally a full forward and he moved me out to midfield so I was just all I was lost altogether so um yeah so it definitely took me about three weeks to feel comfortable again at training and then it took me about six weeks to kind of feel back to myself yeah and and, and I guess it's probably that oh, the, the you know the professional athlete coming back into the amateur sport as well that's probably another thing and it kinda kinda says the mindset of the coach then he's moving out to midfield or she'll have the engine to, you know, do all the work around the park. But even just coming back, you know, like as you're coming from one, I guess, team structure to another, like, you know, that professional 
professionalism you have here in, in Melbourne and then coming back to the Mayo camp, I guess. Do you ever get kind of frustrated when you see, you know, things that are happening in, in the amateur game back in Ireland as opposed to what you're used to with Collingwood? Yeah, you definitely would um, get frustrated at times. I think, like, I suppose the GA and why we love it as well is because there's always, you know, there's always a bit of crack. There's always something going on. There's always someone giving out or else someone patting you on the back. And it's kind of, it's that part of it that we love as well. But, like, at times, I suppose you're like, you know, they kind of nearly discipline you in a professional environment as to, like, the type of person they want you to be, the type of, kind of morals that you stand for and you know the behavior that's accepted at training and that's not so it's very black and white like if you know if someone was say sulking at training because they didn't get picked and like they'd be quickly told that that's not acceptable and stuff like that where sometimes there's a bit more of a blurred line there in GA you kind of get away with stuff like that and kind of bad attitude is not that it's accepted and you obviously try to create a good culture in whatever team you're in and some teams it's easier and other teams it's not so easy so that's probably one of the big differences and then with Mayo as well obviously traveling like a lot of girls are traveling down from Dublin to Mayo for training two or three times a week and that like I I've attended Ida's probably for the last four years my hamstring and just been kind of managing it when I'm over in Australia I'm only traveling 10 minutes to training I don't have any problem with my tendonitis and because I can can rehab all the time and enough time to prep for training and all that so I'm fine and then as soon as I come home and start driving again tendonitis just comes back as bad as ever so it does show that you know them little things do have a massive effect and I also end up being a lot sore after football sessions because because of that sitting in the car kind of stuff um, and I recover yeah. much better when I'm in Australia. Yeah, it's that recovery thing and you hear about that all the time you read about it all the time to GA players I think a lot of the Mayo senior footballers have, have spoken about that highly as well, the travel they do from over and back to Dublin and it's not getting that recovery in the car at 11 or 12 o'clock at night and going to bed late. I guess that's obviously going to affect you in the long term. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 something I probably didn't really fully buy into myself um, until I experienced the difference between both. Other than that, I would have been like, I after I'll recover, I'll be grand, I'll eat and I'll sleep and I'll be fine. Mm. But it's, there, there is a bit more to it. And Sarah, then obviously, I suppose the flip side of that, what have you seen in Collingwood that frustrated you compared to the Mayo setup? Obviously coming from a very established setup in Mayo, like structures have been there, contending for All-Irelands, that squad has won a number of All-Irelands in years gone by and you're coming into a professional sport, but a new professional sport here in Australia, only the sec. obviously you played, this was your second season this year, but was there any frustrations on, on this side when you're like, oh, this this wouldn't happen at home? Um, Probably, yeah, the, say some, maybe people saying like, oh, like we're only contacted for this amount of hours a week. And you know you need to try fit all your stuff into them them hours but like if you want to be a better athlete and a better player like you're going to have to put in extra hours versus the hours that you're actually contracted for and that's to make your team better to make you better and to essentially want to win something so you know that would be that someone saying maybe we only have time for two gym sessions within the time that we're given you're like that's that's not the point like as in if we want to be a better team and a better group we're going to have to do say that third gym session or put in that extra time or that extra time at skills so um, and whereas 
in obviously in amateur sport people do it because they love it and they just want to consistently thrive to get better and so it's it's kind of I suppose that probably is like that just doesn't make sense to me I'm like just put in the hard work in order for us all to be better and do you notice a difference in the mindset between the Australian girls and the Irish girls in terms of that kind of work ethic that you're used to having to fit your sport and career around your professional career? Like Yeah, I definitely definitely do. It's kind of like uh we like you won't like an Irish girl will like try their best never to pull out of training, even if their leg is hanging off them. And like you'd nearly that would nearly feel like you're making an excuse. Like I know for me, if I had I've had niggles at training, like I would just about step out for two minutes to get strapped to get back on because I I won't want to miss anything and I'll be thinking that I'm making an excuse. Now that doesn't mean that my mentality is right, but that's probably what's embedded into me from the GA that you know don't make excuses, don't pull up sore. Like you know if you're running and someone's pulling out the runs, you know nine times out of ten they don't have a sore hamstring. They're probably just making an excuse. That's at home, say. Yeah. But um, over here, if, if you're over a certain training load and if your GPS staff are showing that you've done more than others, whatever, they'll try to pull you from training. But um, I'd be quick to tell them, <laughs> tell them I'm not coming off if the training's over. But um, they, they kind of laugh at now. Like they would say to me that you have a tendency to do too much. And they're right, probably as well. But I'd say, well, you have a tendency to do too little. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah and how have you found out with the coaches obviously like the australian coaches know is you know year two they know you now personally and obviously your your game style like do you think you know they're adapting to get the most out of you that you know that you can bring in terms of you know your skill set from getting football are they still trying to kind of shape you into more of an aussie rules footballer a bit of both we have a new coach this year and he's been really good like he's his just his lines of communication with his players has been unbelievable and like I could talk to him about anything if I needed any advice on anything I'd go and sit in the office for 20 minutes and just have a quick chat and tell him where say maybe I felt like I was frustrated like at times where bigger like in general and Aussie rules people like to go straight down the line and rather than you know going inwards to go to switch to go forward like that would just doesn't make sense that they don't want to do that a whole lot and I'm playing out, out in the wing so I'd be like I'm in open space a lot of the time and I'm like how is the ball not coming here so like it's quite frustrating at times you're like if this was Gaelic football team playing here the ball would be switched yeah and like there's never a question in Gaelic football will I or won't I touch the ball like the ball will come to you it's whether you want to do something with it or not Whereas in AFL, honestly, you can go through the game and not touch the ball the whole game. They stop the way they play the game. And that's really frustrating for me. So I'd, I'd I suppose, talk. I'd normally try to set goals for myself per game and um, make sure that I try hit them. Because other than that, you can get you can get very lost in the game very easily. And I, you see with a lot of the Irish girls when you're watching them, like they're making really good runs and getting into really good space. But people aren't seeing them and hitting them. So they're essentially running up and down like headless chickens. So you have to try to start to understand their game and the way they play and figure out how your players work, really. And that's that's the biggest thing, really. So playing within that structure then, Sarah, like obviously it's like, you know, it's, it, is it then, is it that AFL, they're, they're, it's more tactical 
and the Gaelic football obviously still is a tactical game, but it's more of a fluid game. Whereas, yeah, yeah, they try, they, they have their structure in the AFL in particular, they have their structures, they have the press, get it up top and then get up and keep the ball up there. And and I suppose even the size of the oval as well, obviously, Gaelic football pitch is a, is a massive pitch. But do you find that the oval, like especially the width of the oval, how wide it is, it can be like the space out there at times when you're in that space that the ball is just never going to come across. How do you deal with that? Do you try and get work, work your way into the game or do you, do you just always try and stay within the structure? Well, you see, that's the thing. You you have to stay within the structure. So like at the end of a game, like you do like your self-reflection, say, on the game and then your coach does the self-reflection for you as well. And <clears throat> he'll mark you out of 10. So he'll give you like, say, he'll give you a seven if you played your role and if you're above that like you know you've had a really good game but if you're below that you essentially didn't do what was asked of you in your role so so one one game for instance I you know from in my head I would have thought yeah that was definitely a good game got on loads of ball but and I would have said that I was a, a big contributor in that game but then when I look back on it I probably didn't, I didn't play my role. Like, so I was on the wing, but I was coming and I was coming into the middle and I was going back out in the wing and I was, but I, I wasn't doing what exactly what they wanted me to do. So I would have say in my head, I would have probably given myself an eight in that game, but he would have given me a six because he would have said, while you were a big part of the game, you played as a midfielder and a winger, but you didn't play the winger role that I wanted to play. So it's there's things like that that is constantly on about playing your role and you know the certain positions as a winger that like I'd be saying as well with when I play with the other wingers well we love to cross wings and switch and he likes that we do that but only at certain moments of the game and if we do that too much as well like he'll get pulled up so you don't feel like you can play off the cuff as much which is hard whereas in football it's very much so it's off the cuff and someone will cover for you and you'll you know people understand that like obviously the game as well as in its infancy but like your players normally understand you and the way you play better but I've obviously only played for two years now so I'm still learning all that Yeah and you see that as well with all, a lot of the Irish players out here as well and even with the AFL as well like you know they've got that little touch of brilliance because of that's, that comes naturally to them mm-hmm. off the cuffness I guess if you want to call it that and then there's the whole methodical structured way of actually playing AFL and like working the lines, keep it out in the wings, work it up into the full forward line or inside the 50 and things like that. So, yeah, that's such an interesting point that you made there. Um, in terms of, I guess, the whole AFL scene in Melbourne, obviously, as you know, it's just a one big bubble there and it's like a religion. Um, in terms of the scrutiny there, how have you found that? And especially, I guess, looking back last year when, I guess, the online um, negativity against Talia Harris got and... You know, how do you, how do you function with that or how do you, uh, you know, cope with all that over here? Yeah, it's something that I, yeah, I wouldn't really be used to at home. I saw a small bit of it towards the end of the season last year with the Mayo ladies. Just one or two, um, we lost a goal in the semi-final by a point and there was a tiny bit of it online, but you wouldn't have seen a whole pile. Um, but this year, yeah, I've been definitely more exposed and also myself, say like I would have had like it was there was one mistake in the North Melbourne game that I made at a big moment in the game 
and I saw it all over Twitter like a few when as soon as I got off the pitch and was on my phone I was like oh god don't want to read that so it's just kind of it's, it's a part of the game I probably haven't been used to before but all the same I'm kind of like you know what it's like it's a compliment that the ladies game is getting to a place where they can um, criticise it because before it's always been like, oh, well done women, you're playing sports, you're all that. Like, But you're like, just like men's, I suppose, there's, um, you know, it's good to be able to actually have a proper analy- <laughs> analysis of the game versus just saying, oh, they're, aren't they great playing football? Like, kind of thing. Yeah. But obviously the stuff with Taylor Harris and stuff like that's kind of a different level. That's where it's just been taken too far. But I do like the side of it where people are getting real with it and there's better analysis of the game but obviously the Taylor Harris stuff is and anything that goes you know uh, crosses the line is not really acceptable but you can't really how can you stop online trolls really at the same time they're keyboard warriors yeah that's true and yeah some of it is disgusting as well what happens online but I guess do, do the club actually give you training to handle any of that I mean I know the the women's game has just come on leaps and bounds in the last few years and it is much more mainstream. It's on the TV a lot more as well. So, like, people are, are getting watched again. People are going to the games a lot more as well. Yeah. Um, well, there be, we have a psychologist that's there at every training session. So, if there's anything wrong with anyone in, in their outside life or anything like that, they'd be encouraged straight away to go and talk to the psychologist and kind of get out how they feel. And um, the coaches would nearly check would check in, players would check in. Um, I suppose it's up to us then to keep all that stuff within camp and realise that the outside noise doesn't really matter too much. And how would you compare yeah. compare it to like the Mayo camp in terms of like that bond you have? Like obviously in Mayo coming up with girls in your club and even the girls you go in and play with you would have played against them at different club different club games or even at university level or whatever it may have been to coming out to Australia in cold first year getting to know a new bunch of girls in a new competition in a professional league does is there still that level of camaraderie that you would have been used to growing up and all the way through your GA career in Collingwood I know Collingwood is known for being a really kind of community club or you know where's the nuance where's the difference there um well, I think in year one, um, definitely it was kind of a funny, it's, it's weird to walk into just a group of girls and not know anyone really and just kind of have to, like, you have to suss everyone out. You have to be careful what to say. You don't know how people are going to react here. So, like, I definitely spent the first few weeks being, like, you know, friendly towards everyone and whatever, but also being, like, quiet, quieter than I normally would be and just kind of taking it all in. And figuring out what everyone was about. And I lived with a girl, um, uh, Ruby, who was like, she would be a very big personality in the team. And she was kind of able to like, you know, get me to figure out what's going on and all that. So that was, that was a really good help. But um, I, for a while, it's also the, the Aussie humour is different to the, the Irish humour. Like, so I'd kind of take the piss or joke about something and I'd notice that no one was really getting it. Like, so I'd be like, oh my God, either I'm just, absolutely not not in any way funny or they just don't get it so it took, it took a while for me to kind of understand their banter and then I was like right I'll then but and then they like they kind of sometimes take offense if you're taking the piss out of them but then they got to know me and then the second year I was like just completely myself and I just like 
you know, built relationships with people, had stayed in touch. And I had, I suppose I tried last year to gain the respect of the girls by like working extremely hard. I'd say my fitness and my strength and like my nutrition and things that I could control. I did try to do as best I could last year and gain the respect of the girls because people would always respect you if you're trying your best and you're working hard. And after that, then I could, I felt like this year I could definitely towards the back end of last season, I could give my input more and, you know, have an opinion or talk up in meetings and stuff. And this year, then again, I felt um, much more confident to do that as well. But like that, that anything like that takes an awful lot of time to build them relationships. It doesn't happen overnight. And yeah, I've seen, I've seen a few funny uh, videos of yourself and Ruby on um, Instagram. You, t- you you look like a good pair, the two of you together. I'd say there's a lot of missing going on after training <laughs> session and before matches. She's some crack in fairness. She's actually not your typical Aussie. Like she, she's great banter, I have to say. She's from Perth, so I'm gonna. She's kind of like a country girl, nearly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She looks, she looks, she looks very funny. Like some of the videos she put up there. I think there was one of them there. She was dancing to Abba or something inside the car. It was hilarious and like <laughs> But then you have, on the nutrition, I guess, in the fitness thing again. You set a record, Liam. You you might have to look at this now because I'm after tagging Liam in uh, one of these. You know, nominate five, donate five, and all this thing. So Liam yeah. has to get out and do his five k. So Liam, Sarah's record for two k time trial is six minutes and fifty four seconds. Oh Jesus, that's a fair pace, Sarah. <laughs> I ne- no, to be honest, I nearly died. Like that, I I did nearly die. I nearly got sick after that. So it's honestly the most disgusting test you'll ever do, and they put so much emphasis and pressure on it as well, which I don't know why. Because we did a yo-yo test as well, but um, there everyone's always on about the two getting up. So girls have so much anxiety leading up to them. Oh, anyway, it looks horrendous. I absolutely hate running. But you hear that though, yeah. the Aussies even like this as the general supporters would know who are the fastest players in their club. You often hear about times players do like it's like those stats people know. It's crazy that the emphasis even fans put. On those numbers, whereas in Ireland, you'd never hear a reference to a Gaelic football player, male or female, what time they're doing in training in sprints or the two kilometer. Like it wouldn't even be talked about. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it, I, I couldn't believe it as well. I was like, why, why is it such a big deal? Like normally you just turn up training and someone's like, here we're doing a two k time trial or something. But this is like built up for the whole week. It's like, oh, are you set for the two two k time trial. I'm like, I'm not an Olympic athlete. And <laughs> no, I'm not that. <laughs> but is, I think and it's a disgusting distance as well because you can go hard, but it's like holding that for so long. It's like, oh, you'd be vomiting at the end of it, I can imagine. Oh, it's so hard. And I said, if you could actually get inside my brain and listen to the, what I'm saying to myself <laughs> during them runs, it's awful. And Sarah, how do you find, <laughs> compared to home, obviously it's it's starting to come in more like the one thing I noticed first when I came to Australia, especially when I was just started following AFL and watching, is like the stats. It's all about stats. So you just referenced yourself there earlier that okay, you you set yourself goals going into the game. That you could watch it. I could watch a game of AFL. Like I'm obviously not in the detail as like yourself or like even people who've been watching all their lives. And I might watch a guy and like I don't think he played that well today. But his stats will be he had twenty possessions. He had ten disposals. 
90% accuracy or whatever it might be and he'll be heralded as an unbelievable game but he might have been on the like it might look like he was never on the ball or had no impact like do you do you find, I that, find with- that really hard to be honest like it's it's kind of annoying in ways because like there's some people who could touch the ball 10 times in the game and be really like efficient with the ball and then there's um someone who could touch the ball 25 times and their disposal efficiency so like while they had the ball in their hands 25 times they might have kicked blasted it away 18 times and you're like how can you say that that's a good game when yeah, yeah they're re- high like they were involved but they're the ball isn't getting from a to b like so essentially not great but like i i think it's crazy that there's so much emphasis on it yeah, it's massive though. It's ma- It's huge. Every week, it's gay. It, all the all the commentators, all they talk about is that. I think it's the only like if you watch soccer, or you watch hurling, gay football, even other professional sports. There's not that same emphasis on the numbers. Like it's it, over here, and especially for a game like AFL, we are kicking an oval ball. The the way the ball bounces, the way the ball travels in the air, I think stats at times like they don't do any justice to to the game. No, I definitely not. And then, yeah, you. Then everyone's kind of look. At, I'm guilty of it as well. Like after games, you what? Like if you're watching another game, you go onto the app and you see everyone's stats, and you're like, oh, they had a good game there. Like yeah. it does. It, it nearly gets embedded yeah. in the brain that like a good game is a high stat game. And um, but you could score four goals and only took the ball four times in the game as well. So I don't know. It's very it's very hard to like understand what like you never really know like you come off the ground and you're like i don't know did i play absolutely terrible there or did i play well like i that's the way i always feel like you, you know there's odd time where you're like okay yeah i did all right there today or um but nine times out of ten i'm like oh no not a good game and then i look at my stats and maybe i'm like mm, that's a bit better than i thought but again stats like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the GA has done that very well where they've like they've the, the GA still has their stats, but they don't get bogged down them and they don't use them as a, a yardstick to judge, you know, judge players and judge teams and how what they've done. Um I think that's where the GA has probably, you know, managed that really, really well. Yeah, definitely. It's um it's definitely a better system. Like normally if you watch a game and someone stands out like that's someone who had a good game, but there is times where yeah, people are you get kind of blown up over over stats or or, but then as well like they they do capture a lot of good moments say on video and then that might have been the one time you touched the ball but if you could have had a really good tackle and so that would be all over been blown up as well so it's just I don't know it's hard it's hard to understand it all. And obviously, Sarah, you know you you got the Irish Player of the Year for for this year, which is a huge achievement. And looking at the list and the top five here, some. Some top quality ladies game footballers and AFLW players, and obviously Cora Staunton came in at, at number three, and Cora obviously had kind of a big year up in GWS last year. Um, what do you guys do, the male girls? Do you, t- do you talk to each other like the, the comparison between Melbourne and Sydney, or is there a bit of rivalry there between the different? You know, being from your own county, you know, a bit of a playing on different teams. How does that kind of play out when you're over here? Yeah, there's not really the rivalry, really. Like, um, like Cora's in Sydney, so we wouldn't see Cora that much. And I didn't play her team this year, so there was not really too much feelings um, with Cora. But then with Aileen, say she lived with four Irish girls, and she we saw each other maybe once every two weeks, kind of thing. Like myself and another girl, Ashley Third, and would call over just for a cup of tea. And 
we'd stay in touch just figuring out how everyone was getting on so you'd, you'd be you'd want to see the girls be well but obviously when you're playing against them you know white line fever sets in so <laughs> as soon as you cross the white line it's, diff- it's a different story but then again once the game has ended it's like it's like happy days like you know you just you still want to see the girls be well and you don't want to see anyone get injured or anything like that like when we we played west coast as well which is great and Eve kelly who play with mayo as well and i was actually marking me which is unusual that you'd actually be marking an irish girl so that was kind of weird because like she was marking me like a game of footballer <laughs> versus an afl player yeah. and it was her first game as well so she was just following me wherever i went even if i went out of position she was following me and she wasn't holding her structure and i was kind of she funny tagging. We were, yeah tagging me so we we're, were literally just knocking lumps out of each other but i'm like just deadly <laughs> serious about it and like throwing back elbows a lot and then after the game we laughed, laughed it out and i was like fair play or whatever like so it's fine. Like once you, you know, we have good relationships there, so it's, it's fine once the game ends. But yeah, it could get serious. You would like if you got someone on a wrong day, it definitely could get really competitive. But that's great to see though. With that white line fever, I think is always really good for someone you know, and then you're playing against them. There's nothing like marking someone you know in any sport. It does. I think it raises the the temperature a couple of degrees, um, especially when it's someone from home out playing out far like that. That's 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 awesome. Um, oh, 100%. You just don't want, like, I know Ashley Sheridan was marking uh, one of the Dublin girls in one of the games. She's like, before the game, she's like, I will not let this one get the better of me. She's <laughs> <laughs> just be stubborn as, like. And what about in terms she's, of. She's a cabin woman, too, isn't she, Ashley? Is she from cabin, cabin. is it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. They'd be, yeah, they wouldn't mind that the Dublin girls would be getting the better of them <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> like the country against the city. 100%. And Sarah, in terms of um, obviously Collingwood, or sorry, in terms of the Irish players, like the the men players that are here, obviously there's a lot of Irish players out here. Um, like, was there anything done to kind of like tee up with some of the Irish guys, you know, just kind of how they found coming out, their experiences, anything like that? Did you have any contact yeah. with any former Collingwood Irish players or anything like that before you came out or when you um, arrived? Well, Mark Keane, he um, and Anton Toho play with Collingwood, so I see them all the time. Um, we'd be often in the gym together and stuff and we'd be chatting and you know at the end of the season we'd meet for a drink or two and that was that was nice to have them there because you could always go in and you know like I said like the Irish banter like you always go in and just take the piss out of them or whatever you wanted like and especially when they're trying getting ahead of themselves and they, they kind of were turning a bit Aussie like I was switching all the muscles there hey if you were seen in Ireland with them speedos now, you'd be yeah. to go. So um, they were getting the sleeve yeah, done, were they, Sarah? They were. Oh, they'd be wearing the the speedos the, like the ta- that all the, the Aussies wear around them. Yeah, and I was like, oh, oh, come on, shady, like. Um, <laughs> but too far. Too far. So you'd have them, and then um, Mark Mark O'Connor, then who plays with Geelong, I been mm. good friends with one of his friends from Kerry um as well. So I I saw him saw him once or twice for lunch and then um Connor McKenna as well. So we've met we've yeah, we've stayed in touch with a few few of them and kind of caught up with them and sure it's great crack like but there was a few times where we were meant to all meet for dinners and stuff but like it never worked out because obviously the men train in the morning and then when they'd be having dinner it'd be in the evening and that one that's when we'd be training. So um there wasn't a whole pile of it, but there was a, an attempt to do it a lot of times. 
in terms yeah, of- and we and I guess you have got you've got you know the four chords that actually play with each other in Collingwood. You've got the AFL, the VFL, I think it's the netballers as well that you've gotten there as well. And you're all, I guess, learning stuff off each other. And we we always advocate in this show because because the GA clubs over here they all have men's and women's as one club together. Um, yeah. What would you what would you think about that back home? Would you think this would work much better back home in terms of GA clubs back home? Well, it would be nice. It would definitely be nice to have that camaraderie between like your clubmates and it would make the club and the community feel much closer. But I suppose you couldn't probably like to focus on games and stuff like at home. I don't know if you could do that, but like it would definitely be a good thing to do every once in a while. And it's great that you do do that in Melbourne because I'd say there's a great bond and a good bit of crack life involved and that's important too. There is, yeah, and it makes it makes joining clubs over here much better because everybody is in it together, and I think it would even, you know, you know, bring clubs and actually, you know, villages and counties closer together. I guess having the the men's and the women's all in, under the one banner. I just we think it's absolutely ludicrous that you have, you know, a women's county board and you've got a men's county board. It's just oh crazy. yeah, yeah, absolutely. That definitely should be the case. Like I talked to yourself about club teams, but yeah, with. Uh, like I would say across the board, everything. Yeah. Yeah, across the board. Yeah. No, it'd be, it'd be brilliant if there was that because, like, out of that, obviously, you have friends and, and you love going to games where you're supporting people, where you have a bit of an emotional attachment to it. So, 100%. to actually have friends playing, it's way better to go to a game versus just going to kind of watch strangers. So, it'd be nice to have that support from the men and vice versa, the women. So, and it's great, great idea that you do that over there. And, and in Collingwood, um, Sarah, is there they're that knowledge exchange between the the men and the and the female codes. Like, do you have any crossover with like with Nathan Buckley, the head coach, or any kind of skills exchange or knowledge exchange between the codes? Does, does that occur? Yeah, it does. Um, Nathan Buckley would be our coach. Would go and look for feedback off him and and see what he saw and in games and stuff. And he'd always send us good luck messages and stuff like that. And then. Uh, Tark and Lafayette, who was a player who played in Collingwood a few years ago, and he was a coach there. He's after leaving the club this year, he's got a job with the AFL. But he used to do skills with me um, in my first year every Tuesday and Thursday, um, which was unbelievable. And um, his knowledge was like second to none. I don't, I don't think I've ever had a coach like him, to be honest. He was that good. And I was sad to see him go because he was a, a really good, like, he was just a really good person to to get the absolute best idea, um, and then the netball coach as well. I just, I suppose I was like, I probably seek that out myself. I was like, there's definitely stuff I could learn from the netballers because watching them train one day and the way they move their their feet is, um, unreal. I was like thinking that was a bit of an untapped industry. The people in AFL probably, you know, it's all, you know, there's a big emphasis on this long distance running stuff, but like if you can be quick over two or three meters and get around your player quicker you should it would help as well so I asked him to do footwork with me so he did like footwork drills with me once a week and um again I found that hugely beneficial so yeah there's always there's always things that you can learn from other codes as well and um you know just pick other people's brain and figure out what other people are doing and it's the same applies for like like good athletes if we have netballers on our team who have played high performance sports for years and you're, you learn off them and someone who played soccer for Australia as well. So there's like, there's loads of things that you can learn and you're constantly learning from people that are around you. 
it's good. That, that's amazing that you have all that, you know, all that expertise that, you know, available to you, obviously, as a professional athlete, you're going to have that. But I guess you're obviously going to, I would assume you're going to, like, continue doing this for as long as you can you know having be able to play the aflw out here and then go back home and play county as well with with uh mayo i think it's like it's like an ideal opportunity for any sports person really growing up yeah it's, it's such a good opportunity and um like that i just feel like i'm constantly learning new things every year come, come home with a different perspective every time and you know every year you have a different focus as well on what you want to achieve yourself as an individual and um, but it's yeah it's hard to know obviously with all that's going on at the moment and um, you know we'll there, there'll be to- we'll talk about contracts probably in the next few weeks um with Collingwood but um it's you know whether they'll want Irish players like whether like there's so many things to consider now just considering the climate at the moment but um I I would like to have a conversation about it over the next um, year or two, but I also need to, you know, you are kind of living two separate lives as well. So you're living one yeah. life in Ireland for six months and you're not really settling in Ireland because you, you can't really hold down a proper job. You're just doing bits and bobs. And then when you go over there, you're obviously just like a full-time athlete. And I was studying as well when I was over there, which is great. So it's great when you're over there, but then when you come home, you kind of are like, what am I doing now? So while you're football, you need to try to figure out some other kind of job and that that's that's where there's a bit of a bird line so that they're all the things you need to think about and obviously Sarah as well like AFLW had been trending up on the upward trajectory um like a number of very successful years and now obviously with this impacting with COVID-19 and you just talked about there like what the situation is what do you actually see for next year just say we'll play the scenario out that okay in the end of the year we're you know, it's given the all clear to go back and play. Do you see a full AFLW season commencing again with the same number of clubs? Do you see contracting that football clubs up, up due to the financial pressures they'll now be under that they mightn't be able to afford an, an, another team? Because I know that was a big thing was the, you know, the outlay on AFLW for clubs. Obviously, there's huge uplift for that and there's huge returns on that. But now as they look to there's going to be huge, I suppose, um, scrutiny over every cost in a football club here in Australia. Yeah, that's, it's kind of one of the things that's hard to know, but yeah, you'd expect that some clubs mightn't be able to, um, with the AFL then all the same, like they are probably one of the wealthiest sports and industries in the world. So like, I do think that they'll actually be okay and that it will pass you know, sooner rather than later as well. Obviously, it goes on thicker, right? You're going to be under a bit more pressure. Do you think that the clubs will survive and, and that they'll find a way to make it all work and it'll just be a case of them kind of starting from scratch a small more? But I, I don't I don't think clubs will fold. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to be... It's a very interesting time for professional sport in Australia because especially when they get all the revenue nearly is from TV deals and how lucrative they are um, so it's going to be interesting there's such a big urgency on trying to get games back even behind closed doors because they know the TV figures are going to hold up because there's going to be huge interest even with the AFLW games behind closed doors there's huge interest in those games so there's going to be huge appetite to get it working we're just hoping obviously it can happen sooner rather than later I know the AFL were talking about their contingency plan today 
They just want to get the, the sign off from the chief medical officer to to get going and get back playing. Hopefully, in in maybe the end of end of May potentially for some closed doors games. Um, but what do you see? The few, Eddie's in, on the war path, fighting with everybody in Eddie the media McCoy, over yeah. here at the moment. Yeah, have you come across Eddie much, Sarah? Eddie McGuire. Have I come across Eddie? Eddie McGuire. Eddie McGuire. Oh yes, I've come across him many the times. He's a gas man. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say he's a pair of character around the What is he after doing now? Oh, he's just um TJ there on Channel Nine was, you know, going at him about memberships. You know, what if people ask for their memberships back and all this oh, kind of stuff? I think know? I saw this and he and he yeah. kind of had a bit of a go at each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not shy and give everyone wind them up. Oh, that's it's he's gas. Like he, he does get one. Like you can wind him up easily enough. But that I think that's why he does so well as well because you know that he's he's always going to say something that someone doesn't like, and he's gotten awful far from where he's come from. In fairness, he's, his parents are from yeah. Boyle in County Roscommon. Yeah. Saying, yeah. So he's Irish roots, so he's a bit of that now. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's really like a, an old club, club, you know, club delegate at home or something like that, you know, who backs up the club every at every opportunity every and you know, have nothing bad yeah. said about him. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. His loyalty is is hilarious. Yeah, Sarah, just just obviously you've been very generous with your time with us here. Just re- reflecting, then I suppose, thinking on okay, if there was one thing you could bring from. The professional game or whether it's the structure in the club or tactics or whatever it is back to Mayo and vice versa what would you bring from Mayo out to Collingwood if you could just bring one thing whatever it can be what's the what's the oh definitely definitely the facilities and yeah. um, the access to the facilities mm-hmm. is, is unbelievable and um, you know you have your ice bath your cold bath a swimming pool a gym and um all um high altitude room where it's like 30 something degrees like you've just everything you could ever need really in, in one place so yeah that's the biggest thing i'd say and what would you bring what would you bring from mayo to collingwood and um, i would bring that i suppose the hard working hard work ethic and that kind of never say die attitude that the ga have embedded in everyone yeah, you can't, you can't doing manufacture too much that. And doing running too much. through injuries and everything. <laughs> what? Doing too much and running through injuries and not coming off. Yeah, I I do that as well. Bring that because it they can be soft at times. They have a sore toe yeah. and they have a blister on their foot and they won't train. So I say, come on, get out, get off that. It's funny though because I was even reading in Roy Keane's book. He obviously played on through so many so many different injuries at different points and playing with injections and all that type of thing. And like it, it shortened his career dramatically, and he had that kind of Irish mentality, I think, as well as all you know, keep going, keep going. And in his book, then he reflected, saying he looked at other professionals who didn't play through that, and they had a career that went maybe four or five years longer than his, because even at the time he was like raging that they were pulling out of training or not playing in a match. But that he said in hindsight, you know, you only get one body to look after. I suppose it's that always that f- striking that balance between where making that judgment call where you're not doing damage to yourself. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like as in they are right and realistically they are the experts and that's what I'd say to them as well. If they if they really thought that I wasn't okay to play on, I wouldn't. But like nine times out of ten, like you know yourself as well if it's serious. Like and you won't you won't keep going if you really think you're gonna do more damage. But 
Um, yeah, no, they are. They are. They can just be cautious at times. And that's when I'm like, no, you're being too cautious now. I'm, I'm actually fine. Drive and on. then they kind of get to know their players as well. Like some players are happy enough to, to um, sit out, say, once you've reached maybe like a 10K mark of training or 5K or whatever it is. Some people are happy enough to sit out, but um, others just want to keep going. And and Sarah, just finally as well. Obviously, you come out to Australia. You come out on a on a professional, a sporting visa, and there's obviously some restrictions on that visa that don't allow you to to work another job. Is that correct? Yeah. How do you how do you find that? Obviously, you're coming out for like a six month period. It's you know AFLW is a new sport in new professional sport in Australia. Is that a challenge being on like a you know a, an overseas Irish player contract? And then having like a standard of living that you might be used to at home if you were working in your normal professional job, and then you're yeah you're professional here, but you know is that, is that hard living in Melbourne, which is an expensive city, or how do you balance that? Um, yeah, I don't really find um like financially I'm never under pressure, which is great. Um, with um whatever um it's. It's fine, I suppose. I I think yeah, you'd like like sometimes you'd like to work just to more so to keep yourself busy. But that's why I decided to start studying while I was over there because you kind of get you know a bit of self satisfaction from doing something else other than sport, and it also takes your mind off it too because you know you can spend your you can fry your brain by thinking about sport and football and performance and all that way too much. So, um, it's good to have something else um other than that. But yeah. In terms of um, financially and stuff, it's it's fine. You've you've plenty to to work with anyway, and most players wouldn't be under too much pressure, so it's good. Yeah, that's good because I know I know it's hard, especially with a lot of Irish guys coming out on the on the rookie contracts and all that. It can be it can be hard, and that's great to hear because you want you don't want ever to be a deterrent for especially for a new emerging sport like that. You want it to be as accessible and as possible for everyone to have a right go of it when it's when you when you are doing that six months on six months off life it can like you wanted to make it worth your while for that yeah you try you try save and like try to be careful with it as well and all that but like you're not doing a whole pile either other than training and um you know going for your coffees and your brunch and stuff like that but other than that like you're you know you're not socializing a whole pile either so you're not spending that much money other than rent um so it's fine and obviously, Sarah, you were I, when I met you that time a few weeks ago. You you spoke about that you were mad to play a bit of Gaelic football before you went back to Ireland this time, um, just to have it that bit of I suppose few sessions under your belt. Um, and we were very excited that you're going to potentially going to be joining Gary Owen for a few weeks. Obviously, it didn't work out with the circumstances. Um, is that something you would like to do though, if you were to come back out again next year? That you would do that kind of bit of play with a Gaelic football in Australia before you you head back home. Yeah, no, that would definitely be something I'd love to do because it would it help me as well just um getting back into the swing of things as well and and just being able to play kind of carefree and obviously it's a nice environment as well to meet um more Irish people and enjoy yourself too. So I was I was actually really looking forward to that. But um so we'll resume that next year um whenever we whenever I figure out what I'm doing next. But uh, yeah, I definitely love to do that. Yeah, we have that transfer form ready anyway, Sarah. So just you know, <laughs> just to make sure that just you know that's in that's official now that that's done deal for Gary Owen when you do come back out. So that's all cleared up, which is good. Liam is a special fund as well available for uh, special people like. Oh well, yeah, we'll match Collingwood's terms. That won't be an issue. <laughs> that won't be an issue. Won't be for money then. <laughs> 
Um, look, Sarah, thanks so so much for for making time to come on and have have a chat with us. Um, we always love having people on who have that Irish and Australia connection, and I don't think there's there's many more that that would have the the strength of the connection that you have. Um, and we really really hope that you're back out again playing with Collywood next year when all all this settles down and we when we, when we get you playing with Gary Owen as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Thanks. thanks for having me on anyway, lads. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Mind yourself. Bye, bye, bye. Cheers, bye.